Here at Doxadea Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Well, what an amazing portion of Scripture. I am so excited about this series that we are doing out of the book of Ephesians. And I want to encourage you to dive in with us as we experience the good news of the gospel out of this beautiful letter. Now, of course, Paul is the author. And uh, he had a very special relationship with his church. Actually, he was one of the pastors in this church. He intended just for a little while uh, to visit the church. And then he stayed with them for an extended time. And when he writes this letter, we can see something of the personal connection that he had with his people. He loves these people. And, and you can just see it in Scripture. And uh, if you want to read more about this, this church, which is a very important role player in the letter, uh, you can go read out of Acts chapter 18 and 19, something of the history, how this church started. They had the famous pastor, Apollos, uh, a guy that was very eloquent and it was a good preacher, but he kind of misunderstood the gospel. And uh, then Paul came in and he started preaching there and this church grew and the beauty of this story is literally that this church in the city of Ephesus so impacted their environment the city was so transformed by the gospel that businesses that made profit out of selling idols literally went bankrupt in the story of this city and that's why I think it is such an important scripture for us to understand today, especially as we dive into this series, into the first portion of the book of Ephesians. You know, what, what makes Ephesians so special is the fact that this book, this letter, was not written because of anything. Most of the New Testament letters were written because either there was some heresy happening in the church, guys preaching another gospel, uh, there were relational struggles in the church, and uh, Paul or whatever uh, author needed to adjust that, uh, or there were just a lot of sin and bad stuff happening in the church, bad behavior like the book of Corinthians and Paul wrote a letter to, uh, to, to address the church in terms of that. But when we read the book of Ephesians, we just see the heart of God for his people in the context of church. And that is the picture we need to understand. That is God speaking to you within the context of his family, his church. Now, Paul writes this letter with one thing in mind, and that is to lead people within the context of the body to maturity. And that is almost a foreign word in church today. You know, we talk a lot about growth. Uh, we talk a lot about people coming to Christ. Uh, but this is about people maturing in Christ. And that is so beautifully explained in chapter 4, verse 14 to 15, just kind of to give you a little taste of what lies ahead in future weeks. As Paul writes, he says, Then we will no longer be infants 
tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Paul literally wants to take us on this journey of growth and maturity, how we mature as Christians. He's going to speak to us about who we are, our identity. He's going to speak to us about how we are enabled, not should, how are we enabled to live as Christians in this dark and broken world. I want to I invite you on this journey just as we start this series. We, we're going to do six weeks on the book of Ephesians. It's going to be 12 sermons. So there's going to be two sermons every Sunday. If you listen to the one, please follow up on the other one. If you attend an on-site meeting, attend, then try to do the online the evening. But please journey with us. It's not just going to be the sermons, but it's also be in, going to be in our community groups. As a, We're going to prepare a little video for context in each group. And uh, please do this study with people. Don't just do it alone. And then there's also going to be a devotional journal that you can actually take the book of Ephesians and work through it personally in your quiet time as you trust God to reveal the beauty of maturity in Christ within the context of the church. Now, in this first portion, which is probably, uh, you know, uh, I, I've, I've in many, many, many months not been so excited about preaching a sermon as this one this morning, because this first portion is like, it is so rich. There's actually at least four series just within this portion. So, so giving, giving this justice, I'm really going to try to focus on what Paul actually is aiming at in this first portion of Scripture as we read Ephesians. And, and this first portion is so important for us to understand the rest of this letter because Paul introduces us to the biggest mystery in Christianity. If ever there's one thing that you and I on this planet earth need to understand, it is this one thing. What does it mean to be in Christ? You know, Paul gets so excited about this, this one little phrase, in Christ. He literally uses it in the tr translation that I'm reading. Um, he used it ten times in, in about eight, verse, eight, nine verses, depending on the translation. But he's literally, he's, he's, like, he's like hitting hard on this thing. This is the gospel. This is the end result of the preaching of the gospel. This is the journey to maturity. This is what you need to understand. If ever there's a revelation that you need to have, it is understanding that if you are saved, you are in Christ. So he starts with three arguments um, in, in this first portion as an introduction to the rest of this letter. The first argument is who we are. He spends a lot of rich word and text explaining the beauty of who we are in Christ. And then he moves forward, not just saying who we are, 
but saying why who we are. Why did God do this work in us? And what are we purposed for because of this work that being in Christ implies? And, and saying yes to, to this mandate, this mission of being in Christ is just as important as understanding your identity. When you say yes to Christ, you are in Christ in terms of who you are, but also in terms of why you are. And then his third argument is this beautiful portion of Scripture. And we're going to spend more time on it later in the book as he also expands on this idea of the guarantee what is the guarantee of this, this who we are and why we are, this, this, this identity and this mission, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit? So it's no wonder that when Paul starts this portion, he starts it literally as a, as a praise song to God. And if you read this first few verses, you can just see that this is something that was read in the church to literally bring people under the impression of the amazing thing that God did and the amazing thing that He's going to do and how His Holy Spirit is going to facilitate all of this. So Paul starts in the scripture by saying verse 3, he says, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavens in Christ. Can you imagine the implications of what Paul is saying? He's saying that God, blessed God, the God who we praise, literally blessed us as a people being in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heaven. It's as if we see the picture of God standing before us and emptying his pockets, literally giving everything he has, giving himself as a blessing to us. If I read this, I, I almost see the picture of God taking us out of this environment of curse and putting us into this environment called being blessed. This is an identity thing as Paul starts and he says the first revelation about being in Christ is understanding that if you are in Christ, you are blessed. God blessed you. Sometimes as Christians, we say, we have like this, this cliche thing, thing saying, be blessed. It's actually very wrong because we do not need to be blessed. We are blessed. We are the blessed people of God. So what does it mean to be in Christ? Just kindly, to quickly kind of figure that out. When Paul writes a letter just a bit earlier, the, book to, the letter to Galatians, he says the following, chapter 3, verse 26. He says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God. And then these two words, through faith. For as many as you have, who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And, and Paul uses these two, two words to say, this is what it means to be in Christ. It means that you put your faith in Jesus. That is where this process starts. Being in Christ is not possible without putting your faith in Jesus. 
But then he also explains the importance of being baptized. And oh, how amazing is that picture of baptism as we as believers are literally dipped into the water, covered by the water. And Paul says, this is the symbol, this is the picture of us being in Christ. It is covered. We are covered by him. He, he literally, he, as clothing, clothes us. We almost disappear in the picture of who he is. And then Paul starts with this very important explanation, saying, if you are blessed, what does it mean? What is this blessing that God is giving you? And the first thing he says this blessing means, verse 4, he says, for he chose us in him. Again, in him. But he chose us. And then this definition, before the foundation of the world. I don't know about you, but I remember at school, uh, during break time, and uh, all the boys would play rugby, and of course, I'm not good at rugby. So everybody would stand there. Two guys will announce themselves as captains. And then they will start making decisions on who will be on their team. And then they call out a name saying, you come forward and you come forward and you join my team. And then two teams are formed. Well, unfortunately, I was that boy that, uh, that, was, that was left to last because when it came to rugby, I were not qualified. I was not qualified. I could not play rugby. So nobody wanted me on their team. But what this scripture says is that although we were not qualified, we were all bad players. We had no talent. Someone came and stood in our place and God chose his son. And because his son was qualified, I became qualified on on the grounds of his qualification on the cross. And I became part of the team. No person can say, I am not chosen because of my disqualification. No person can say, I am not chosen because of my sin. No person can say, I am not chosen because I am not good enough. Because someone was good enough in your place. And someone qualified you through what he has to offer. I am chosen. And then he explains to us what this looks like. Being chosen is the understanding that God said you are mine. That beautiful scripture in Isaiah 43, as God speaks to, to Jacob and he says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. Jacob was not a good player. Jacob was full of sin. Jacob was broken. He was actually a crook. But God said to him, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by, your, by name. You are mine. It is God saying that his son's qualification was enough so that you can be chosen, called by name, and God saying over your life, you are mine. What have we been chosen for? That is the, the next part of what Paul literally explains as he says, verse 4, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. You and I were chosen to be holy. 
What holy here means is not being without sin. Because that's immediately what we think when we hear the word holy. Many times we think this is moral purity. But this is not moral purity. Although that might be the end result. We were chosen not just to be morally pure. What this word holy here means, and it's such a beautiful sentence as Paul explains it, as he says, you have, you have been chosen to be holy and blameless in love before him. Can I be blameless? Yes, in him. See, holy in the Old Testament in its, in its most simple form meant that if I had a knife, I using, I'm using it in the kitchen, and there's a knife needed in the temple, that I will take this very ordinary knife to the temple and then the moment this knife enters the temple and it is just being used for purposes in the temple, that then became a holy knife. It was set apart. It was used for something special. Did not say anything about the quality of the knife, but all about the purpose around the knife. Secondly, the word holy does not find its meaning in sinlessness only. The word holy finds its definition in the character of God. God is the definition of holiness. So when Paul says, you have been chosen to be holy and blameless in love, he's saying that because of the qualification of Jesus Christ, God now associates his holiness with who you are. I am not blameless, Lord, but he makes me blameless because his holiness is literally Put on my life. I am clothed with Christ who is already holy. What an amazing privilege to understand that this, this concept of holiness, what Paul speaks about here, holy and blameless in love. It's almost as if he plays with words that, that doesn't fit. How do you bring holiness and love together? It's brought together in this reality that in Genesis 1.26, when God made man, he said, I will make man in my image. Let us make man in our image. What Jesus is talking about here is that because we are chosen on the qualification of Christ, is that God restores in us the image and the character of His holiness in the moment that we put our faith in Christ Jesus. We are considered holy. We are considered blameless because of Christ. This is the story of the second Adam. The first Adam in failure, bringing sin into the world. But the second Adam, bringing righteousness and the right standing with God and bringing victory over sin in this world. And we are associated no longer in the first Adam, but in the second Adam, who is Christ Jesus. We are, we are chosen. We are qualified to be holy because of him. And this happened, just the beauty of it, before creation. Can you imagine it? God knowing everything that you're going to do wrong in your life, looking at the whole picture of your life in advance and seeing everything, and then before creation, deciding that you will be destined to be holy. That's why Paul goes to the second thing 
of being chosen. The second idea. And this is in verse 5 as he says, he predestined us. Now just to say quickly, this is not anything to do with the doctrine of predestination. Don't go there. This is, it means exactly the same as before the foundations of the earth. Before everything was created, God already decided that he's going to choose you for holiness, but he's also going to choose you for this thing. And Paul explains, he says, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Christ Jesus for himself, according to the good, good, the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. What does this mean? It means that before God created, the intention in his heart and the plan that he had was to, at a specific moment, because of what Christ, this son, has done, to adopt you as his own. I love it the way that the message translation puts this. It says, oh, how God loved doing this. This was for God the biggest pleasure. This word adoption here does not mean the same as we understand in terms of adoption today. When I, as a parent who do not have children, adopt a child that is not my own. The definition of adoption here is more of a cultural thing in the biblical times when a dad would take his, his small child, his child, and then in the moment that that child becomes an adult, he adopted that child, meaning that that child now, now became part of the inheritance of the father. We see that in the story of, of, of the, the, the prodigal son. How the father literally gives the, the child uh, an inheritance when he becomes an adult. We see this today still in, in some Jewish rituals called the bar mitzvah. As a parent says to his own child, I now adopt you. Meaning that I bring you into what is mine. I'm bringing you into this inheritance. I'm bringing you into this maturity and responsibility and this privilege of being with a father. And God says, before you messed up, before you were lost in the sin of Adam, he found you in the intention of Him making you His son. Elevating you from the place of slave to the place of son. You are His. It's as if we have to stop in this story and say, Goodness, God, Lord, this is too much. You are saying, I am blessed. You are saying, I am chosen. You are saying, I am holy. You are saying that I am a son of God. For the girls, you're also a son. I'm blessed because God gave everything. I am chosen because I'm qualified in Christ. I am holy because I share the divine nature of God's holiness. And I'm a son because God established me in this unchanging relationship of father and son. 
If you're sitting there in front of your TV or you're sitting with your laptop in your hand or a phone, I want to challenge you to right there now sit and say, Lord, I am blessed in Christ. Lord, I am chosen in Christ. I am holy in Christ. I am a son in Christ. This is the beauty. You see, if you do not understand this introduction to the book of Ephesians, a lot of what lies ahead will look like new laws, new rules. But if you understand this foundation that Paul puts down in saying, listen, this is God's heart for your life. This is God's heart. This before you messed up, before sin happened, this was God's heart for you and I in His body. That is who we are. But then he says, there's also a why we are. He explains this in verse 7. As he says, in him, again in him, we have redemption through the blood and forgiveness for our trespasses. You see, that's the picture of God redeeming us, of God restoring us. It says to according to the riches of his grace. Um, that he's so that he so richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding how amazing the grace of God is. And then verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time. God had a plan with this whole thing of who you are. What was his plan? This was his plan. Verse 10, to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in Him. The plan was not just to become the Son of God. The plan was not just to become holy. The plan was not just to be chosen. The plan was with a purpose that in the right time, we would become part of this amazing plan that God has. To bring everything under the lordship of his son. This is what Paul writes in Philippians 2. We just stood still during Easter weekend at the scripture. Verse 9 says, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is God saying, this is who you are. This is why you are. You are called. You are destined. You are predestined. You are equipped. You are restored to be part of this plan on planet earth. Bringing everything. And I think when the Bible says everything, it means everything. Not just people, but things. Bringing this planet that God so loved, that is a revelation of His glory, that shows the, the awesomeness of God to bring everything under the Lordship of Christ. And this is not done by sword. This is not done by war. This is done by grace and by love. In the same way that God saved us and restored us, we go to this world on this mission of bringing Christ's love, bringing faith to the lost, bringing love to those in pain, bringing hope 
to everything that is broken. How do we do it? How do we understand this mission of bringing everything under the Lordship of Christ in Doxodeo? These three words. Faith, love, and hope. We bring faith to those who are lost. We bring love to those who are in pain. And we bring hope to everything that is broken. How do I do it personally? I share my faith with others in the intent of bringing Christ to them that they might also become saved and also be restored in what we just read about. I bring love to the hurt and the pain and the need and the poverty and the brokenness and the relational challenges of this planet. I bring the love of Christ as an opposite spirit in this world. But I also get engaged on things that is broken. Whether it is in our local government where things are falling apart out of my perspective. I do not just stand around the Bryflay's fire talking about what is wrong in this city. I step in with the hope of Christ in bringing hope in that what is broken. If the school is not working, if, if, if the businesses are not working, it is my responsibility. Because I understand that God made me who I am so that I can be part of this mission of bringing everything under the Lordship. Of Jesus Christ. And then Paul just ends this massive idea with this promise. He says, In him, in Jesus Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were sealed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment on our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. See, I'm wearing this wedding band as an indication of the fact that I belong to someone, to my wife. And God says, in that same way, He has given you the Holy Spirit, literally sealed, saying that you are His. In this dark world, nothing can change that. No attack from the enemy, no plan that He can form, no brokenness of this world can change this relationship that I am sealed in Him. His Holy Spirit makes me reminds me that I am His. And then he says, this Holy Spirit is a down payment. We understand the term down payment. It's a deposit on what is to come. I buy the car, I pay the deposit, but the car is going to be mine. God says the Holy Spirit is a down payment that we received in terms of the inheritance, what God sees as the inheritance of His Son, all the nations, this whole planet, all things to come under the Lordship of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the down payment. The deposit has been paid. You may look at this world, you may look at the city, 
and think God has written off the city. I want to promise you he did not because you and I carrying the Holy Spirit carries the down payment on the fact that this place will belong to God and this place will reflect the glory of God. God will not stop. God will not be, be, be put in another direction. God will not veer in his way because that is the down payment on God's plan to bring the city, all the nations, everything under his son united restored this this sermon calls for a moment that you and i make a statement this calls not for lord please give me grace i am just a poor sinner will you help me in this terrible world this sermon calls this portion of scripture calls for a statement of faith saying that i am blessed i am chosen i am the holy one of god restored in his love I am the Son of God and I am on mission in this world to see the love of Christ change this world. And God gave His Holy Spirit as a guarantee that I will be able to live a life of love. Will you this morning make this statement? Lord, we stand before you like Paul. Hands raised, praising God, the blessed God, because you blessed us, because you chose us, because you qualified us in that choice, because we are called holy and blameless in love, and we are the sons of God walking on this planet. Lord, that is our confession of faith. That is the purpose of our lives. That is God's plan for us on planet earth. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who will make this possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.